WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk about the first two games of the Phillies Brewers series and uh, this red hot baseball team of ours playing very good baseball right now as the trade deadline grows ever closer. Dave Dombrowski had some stuff to say about that. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. Some reticence from Bryce Harper about playing first base, maybe. We'll get into that and what that means for the for the uh, trade deadline. Some bad news on the Phillies' top pitching prospect and one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Andrew Painter needs Tommy John surgery. We're going to get into that here in just a few minutes. I'll also take some of your trade deadline proposals that you sent in to me through the hit and season at billypen.com email. And I'm going to talk with Kevin Nagandi, ESPN Sports Center anchor and of course, big time Philadelphia sports fan about all things Phillies. We'll do that coming up here on this edition of the podcast, including our stat of the week. Let's talk about Phils and Brewers. First two games, as I'm recording this on Wednesday night, split between these two teams. But that still means the Phillies are 27-12 and 12 since June 3rd. That is the second-best record in baseball. Just not the Phillies' night on Wednesday night as they fell 5-3 to three to Milwaukee. And with the way they've been playing, it's I'm really going to try hard not to get upset at every single loss because they are winning so many games right now and you're going to lose some games and they had a lot of tough luck at the plate tonight I think they a lot of line outs um, in the game here on Wednesday night and Milwaukee just a little bit better than them here in this one so the Phillies will look for the series victory on Thursday afternoon but good news on the wild card front even as the Phillies lost five to three to the Brewers the Marlins are in free fall They lost their sixth straight on Wednesday, swept by the Cardinals. They are now a half game behind the Phillies. Phillies are one and a half back of both the Giants, who finally had their long winning streak snapped, and the Diamondbacks. Phillies right in the mix. They're right where they want to be. Really, when you think about it, they are right where they want to be. They're in a comfortable position. They're a half a game up on the Marlins. The Reds are pushed a little bit further back because Cincinnati has struggled a bit coming out coming out of the All-Star break. And, you know, there's a slew of teams, seven, eight, nine games back among them. The Mets, the Padres, uh, the Cardinals, uh, the Cubs are all back there. There are ways away. The, the the pack has separated a little bit in the National League, not quite the same amount of parity. And this is a big week. A lot of these wildcard teams are playing each other, and we're going to get maybe a little bit more separation here uh, between some of these teams. And as we've watched the Brewers, and I said this with Liz on the last podcast, this is kind of a fraudulent team. The Brewers have a phenomenal bullpen. You really need to do your damage against Milwaukee early in the game because once they get to the bullpen and they start bringing those arms out, it's really tough to score. But if you can get to their starters, which generally speaking, you can this year, you can beat this team because they don't score runs. Five runs for Milwaukee is a plethora. They don't normally score like this. And I read some of the statistics of their offensive players in episode 693 with Liz they're they're deplorable they they have two good players Contreras and Christian Yelich Contreras their catcher and and Yelich that's it so it was an interesting thing the Phillies did in the ninth inning. I want to talk about this managerial decision in this 5-3 to three loss. Uh, the Phillies had runners on first and third with one out against Devin Williams. Their outstanding closer has a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and perhaps the best changeup 
in all of baseball. He makes hitters hitters look ridiculous. He made JT Real Muto look like an A-ball rookie trying to play Major League Baseball. Who, and Real Muto just is not hitting well right now. He's in one of his patented slumps where the leg kick is coming down too soon or too late or whatever. You know, Real Muto just can't can't stay in one mode. He's either red hot or ice cold. And right now we are in the midst of one of JT's ice cold uh, patterns where he's shaking his head ever so slightly as he's walking back to the dugout like he can't believe he struck out. He's never done it before. He's above this sort of thing. I'm going to be started on a real Muto stuff. Um, he, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve me going after him like that, but it's uh, it's it drives me crazy. Anyway, interesting decision by the Phillies to have Bryson Stott, who singled to move Bryce Harper over to third base after Harper singled to lead off the ninth inning. First in third, with one out, and yet Alec Bohm at the plate, Phillies trailing by two. So Alec Bohm there is the go-ahead run at home plate, and you've got Bryson Stott as the tying run at first base. The Phillies decided to try and let Bryson Stott try to steal second, get Stott into scoring position, which does a couple of different things. It eliminates the ground ball double play, which we've seen is a high probability with a ground ball machine like Alec Bohm, we've seen him slam balls into the ground over and over again, over to the left side and and hit the, hit into double plays. So I get maybe trying to stay out of the double play there, uh, especially against a, a changeup pitcher where you could be out in front. There, it also would mean that if Alec Bohm were to hit a single, which is again something this team does really well, they get a lot of singles there, but. You know, if you want to if you want to string together singles to try and score two runs, that's more difficult to, to do. But if you get Bryson Stott into scoring position, a single scores two runs and you tie the game. In this case, it didn't work out. I get the move. I didn't hate it, but they can't. They they get Stott out uh, on a brilliant throw by Contreras. I mean, if it's anywhere other than right on the money, Stott is safe and the move works out. Sometimes that's baseball, right? Sometimes you make an aggressive play, you're safe. Alec Bohm comes through with a, a bleeding ground ball single through the right side, and you've got a tie game. In this case, in this alternate universe, Stott gets thrown out of second base, and on the very next pitch, Alec Bohm strikes out swinging to end the ball game anticlimactically. It felt like we were uh, maybe going to get a little bit more magic from the Phillies' offense in the ninth inning, but it wasn't to be on Wednesday night. But I, I don't hate the move. I would rather I would rather the Phillies make some aggressive mistakes. And in that case, I think it was a calculated risk because Devin Williams is one of the best closers in baseball. I would rather take a shot at tying the game with one hit instead of two hits or a three-run home run, which would have been equally unlikely. A fine game from Christopher Sanchez uh, for the Phillies on Wednesday night. He gave you what you want from your number five starter. Five innings, three runs allowed. You'll take that. Some leaky bullpen work from Matt Strom and Andrew Bellotti in the latter innings allowed the final two runs. But uh, again, can't win them all. The Phillies won the first game of the series 4-3. to three. We saw another leadoff home run from Kyle Schwarber and an outstanding performance from Aaron Nola in this one. Aaron Nola talked, over the All-Star, talked about the fact that over the All-Star break, he just got away from baseball for four days. He said that was unusual for him. Earlier, earlier in his career, he would not have been able to do that. He would have he would have wanted to throw at some point during a, a string of four days off during the during the All Star break, but this time wanted to just kind of get away, which I think was good to clear his mind. It's been a frustrating first half for him and for fans watching him. He's been very inconsistent. Some of the numbers there are good, but other numbers indicate he's just not getting as many swings and misses this year. He's not getting the strikes, strikeouts, having a lot of difficulty with runners on base, pitching from the stretch. But he talked about 
in the last start in Miami and the previous starts, but especially in the last start in Miami, that he felt like he was rushing. He felt rushed, and I think part of that is because of the pitch clock. But even pitching from the windup, he said his windup felt rushed and that he was really concentrating on slowing down. And he said, once you start your windup, you can take as long as you want. And I think the idea that he has to get the pitch off before a certain amount of time has ticked off the pitch timer, it was also having him rush his delivery. He was going through his delivery too quickly. So that, that mentality in his brain that was saying, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go so you don't get caught for a violation, it was affecting his windup as well. And what he realized, he said, was that he can start his windup before that clock ticks to zero, but then he can, he can go nice and slow. He can slow things down. And he said that really helped him in the game here on Tuesday night, the 4-3 to three win. And so you look for more good things from Aaron Nola if maybe he's unlocked something there. And that would be... That would that, you know, that's I think Nola is this team's most important player the rest of the way. If they don't get number two starter type performances from Aaron Nola, it's going to be pretty difficult for the Phillies to maintain winning streaks. They, they need him to do what he did on Tuesday night. He wasn't perfect. He ran into some trouble in the fifth inning, but it was mostly limited. The damage was limited and. The Phillies offense did enough to support him in that particular situation. Four runs, again, not a not a truckload. The Phillies left a lot of meat on the bone in that game, too. A lot of runners left on base. Probably should have scored six or seven runs in that one. But uh, Aaron Nola gave them the type of performance that he really needs to keep giving him the rest of the way. He can't follow this game up with a clunker next time out. They, he needs to stack these kinds of starts together. And I think that's why he is this team's most important player the rest of the way. There, there are lots of candidates, right? Bryce Harper, if he can continue to hit, you know, but he's, he was productive. But if he can hit home runs, that would be huge. If Kyle Schwarber, what he's doing right now, you're seeing how Kyle Schwarber can just put a team on his back offensively like he's been doing over the since the All-Star break. He, he could be, you could argue that he's their most important player. Zach Wheeler, you could argue, is their most important player. But I'm talking about a guy who maybe underperformed a little bit in the first half that they really need to bounce back. I don't know that, I mean, Trey Turner, you could also add into that mix as well from an offensive standpoint. But I really do believe Aaron Nola is the key here. He is the team's most important player in the second half. He needs to give them what he gave them on Tuesday. It doesn't need to be no hit stuff every time out there, but it needs to be solid. He needs to be missing bats. He needs to have his command. And if he can do that, then this Phillies team is a very, very dangerous team. We saw down the stretch last year and in the postseason when Nola is on his game, what a dynamic it brings to this team. They can sustain winning streaks that way. And so I think, again, he is this team's most important player here for the rest of the second half. One of the interesting things about this series here in Milwaukee is we were expecting Bryce Harper to get on the field and play a little bit of first base. But so far in these two games, and it doesn't sound as if the game on Thursday will be Bryce Harper's introduction to first base. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the day off on Thursday because he's been battling a pretty serious cold, it sounds like, or a virus of some kind where he has lost his voice. He's had a fever of about 101, 102 the last couple of days. It's kind of amazing. Uh, he played here in the game on Wednesday, and he had a really weird at bat against Hobie Milner. I haven't seen any of the comments after the game uh, from Rob Thompson or anybody else as far as what was going on there, but he just stood there 
He just stood there at the plate as Hobie Milner was was pitching. Didn't swing. Didn't even offer to swing. Just stood there like he it was it was ball three and he had three and zero count and he was looking for the automatic walk. He just didn't swing. And I know Hobie Milner is a difficult left-handed pitcher uh, to catch up with to 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 pick up the ball. But that being said, it was a very weird looking at bat. And I'm just going to chalk it up to the fact that maybe he just didn't see Hobie Milner, but it looked like he gave up in the at-bat. So there's something going on with Bryce Harper. I I don't know what's going on with him, but he did not play first base in either game against Milwaukee. It sounds like he won't play there until this weekend in Cleveland. In fact, I think that was confirmed by Harper uh, before the game on Wednesday. He said he hopes to maybe get in the field for one of the games against the Guardians. Rob Thompson says they wanted to hold off this week because Harper did not get any first base work during the All-Star break. Um, And I I know he's been sick this week. I can understand the sickness being more of a reason, but the fact that he didn't have any work during the All-Star break, he's been practicing for two months. What work could he have done over the All-Star break or these last two days that where it would have, and he's been practicing the last couple of days, where it would have been a difference maker? in him being able to go out and play first base. It it really seems right now like this is a comfort thing for Bryce. That I don't think it's that he didn't get any work over the All-Star break and that his skills diminished. I think that I'm starting to wonder if Harper is having doubts about his ability to play first base. I wouldn't be at all surprised about that because it's very unusual for a player of his stature who has been an outfielder his whole life to come in and learn a new position in the middle of the season. It would be very unusual. Now, Harper is a talented guy. Everything you're hearing about from the team, from writers, is that he's really taken to it quite well. And everybody is acknowledging there are going to be rough patches. There are going to be problems. He's going to commit errors. It will. It may not look pretty at different times, but the, the team has said that he looks like a natural over there as well. He's making all the plays. He's throwing the ball well. He's making the stops and the scoops and everything else that you need to do at first base. I wonder if Bryce Harper just doesn't feel comfortable yet, that he's just unsure of himself. That's a little worrisome for me, that he doesn't have the confidence. And, and that's just my speculation. But really, what what other than sickness, and if it's sickness, then just say it's sickness. Like, he's been sick. We didn't want him to try a new position for the first time while he's battling this virus. That's totally fine. But it's, it's, it's interesting to me that he didn't play in any of the three games right coming out of the All-Star break. That would have made sense to me for for him to to jump in the mix there, but he didn't. And I really believe now that he may be having doubts. Maybe he's having second thoughts, or he's just maybe more nervous about it than he thought he would be. But this is a big deal because, as multiple people have noted, as Dave Dombrowski himself said over the last couple of days, his decisions. The acquisitions that he's going to make at the trade deadline center around whether or not Bryce Harper is going to move to first base. Because if Harper moves to first base, Dombrowski said on Wednesday that he would likely pursue a corner outfielder. A right-handed corner outfielder who can get Kyle Schwarber out of left field, get him into the DH role. We've talked about this on, on the podcast a lot. Get his knees feeling better so that you can and, and get a better defender out there because Kyle Schwarber is a disaster defensively. I'm going to read you some of the numbers here in, in just a second. But you can go out and you can get a corner outfielder that can play a little bit better defense and maybe give you a little pop from the right-hand side of the plate. When Dombrowski is talking about pursuing a corner outfielder, it is probably not a Juan Soto or a Shohei Otani. Think more along the lines of Adam Duvall. 
Lane Thomas, Teoscar Hernandez, somebody like that. It sounds like he wants a right-handed bat. So I would also say that, and I'm going to talk about trade deadline stuff in a few minutes with some of the folks who, who sent in some proposals. I would imagine that Cody Bellinger probably isn't the name. Matt Gelb mentioned New York Mets outfielder Tommy Pham. He talked about the Mets. Looks like they're going to have a fire sale, which will just be a lot of fun to watch. Tommy Pham is having a better season than I thought he was. He's 35 years old, but he's hitting 277 with a 357 on base percentage and a 484 slugging percentage. That's good for an 840 OPS. In my opinion, anything over 800 from a corner outfielder is, is a good OPS. He's got nine home runs and 11 stolen bases, and he grades out as a league average defender. His uh, defensive wins above replacement, according to uh, baseball reference, was, I think, negative 0.3. So it's not great, but it's also not bad. Overall, he's been a 0.8 war player this year. So he's not somebody who's lighting the world on fire. But he's got a decent slash line. He's got a decent OPS. Uh, he has not been playing every day. He probably plays against left-handers. He's, he's basically replacing... Christian Pache, and I mean, maybe you play Pache or Rojas um, in center field against some against some left-handers to give you more to give you more defense, and you just get Marsh out of the lineup. You play Fam in left field, and you play Rojas or Pache in center field. They they could do that. Um, that hurts you a little bit defensively, and I think Marsh is good enough to play every day and and to play him more against uh, some tough left-handed pitchers. But um, it's they. The, the, the point is, if Harper can play first base, they're going to go out and probably get a corner outfielder. And there are some decent names available. Nobody, like, there's some game changers like Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. And Shohei Otani's not an outfielder, but there's some game changers like Juan Soto out there. But there's also some decent right-handed bats that maybe don't wow you. And, and maybe you would rather just go with Johan Rojas, Christian Pache when he comes back, and Brandon Marsh in the outfield, rather than bring in somebody like Tommy Pham or uh, Teoscar Hernandez, or Lane Thomas, or Adam Duvall. I would personally rather go out and get one of those guys. Um, I don't. I, I think it just gives you more certainty. I mean, it's it's not as it's not as flashy as as Juan Soto or anything like that. But I do think it gives you a little bit more confidence in your everyday lineup than risking young players like Johan Rojas and Christian Pache to have to perform uh, in, in these uh, in these big moments. And they'll still have roles on the team, right? Yo, Rojas probably will go back to double to A at some point once Christian Pache comes back and it'll be it'll be Pache's uh, job back again. But if Matt, if 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 Bryce, if Bryce Harper, if we don't know whether or not he can play first base, they probably just need to bag the experiment. Now, there's two weeks. That's enough. But is that enough time? Two weeks of Bryce Harper, and he's not going to be playing in at first base every day. So how many games are we going to see Bryce Harper at first base before the trade deadline? They've got a weekend series here against uh, against the Cleveland Guardians, and I'm just I'm I'm wondering this off the top of my head. So uh, have to bear with me for a second while I, I I pull up the schedule here. But they've got a weekend series in Cleveland against the Guardians. Then they come home for a series against the first place AL East leading Baltimore Orioles, which will be a great series. Um, very tough matchup for the Phillies. And then they go into Pittsburgh to take on the Pirates. And that's and then you've got the trade deadline. Monday, July 31st, they start a series against the Marlins in Miami. And then on Tuesday, August 1st, you're in Miami. So you you could probably, but I mean, you, you're not using Bryce Harper's performance on Monday, July 31st to tell you whether or not you should add a player on the 31st or August 1st, right? So you're basically looking at this this Pirates series, 
uh, at the end of July. You're looking at the series against the Orioles um, at the beginning of next week, and you're looking at this weekend series against the Guardians. It's like nine games, and he's not going to play every day. So you're talking five games maybe? Six games where you're, where you're watching Bryce Harper at first base, if it's that many? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that I think that really hamstrings Dave Dombrowski as far as what he might be able to go out there and get. And if let's I mean and getting a, getting Schwarber out of left field will no doubt help the defense. He's negative 15 in outs above average, negative 19 in defensive runs saved. He's by far the worst defender in baseball. And he had a nice catch this week. That was nice to see. But I think it'll also help keep him fresher for offensive production. I think it improves your offense and your defense if you can get Harper to first base. But I, we really thought we would have seen by now Harper at first base, and this keeps getting pushed back. They, 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 they keep delaying this, and that's a red flag for me. Now, Dombrowski said the Phillies are looking to get better at the deadline, so if Harper has to stay as the DH and Schwarber does have to stay in left field, could that suddenly mean making an addition at first base so that you can just keep Alec Bohm at third base and add a right-handed bat there? Could that mean the Phillies inquire about Paul Goldschmidt. It doesn't sound like the Cardinals are wanting to move Paul Goldschmidt. Could it mean adding somebody like Nolan Arenado at third base? We've talked about this before. Another right-handed bat. Again, the Cardinals don't sound like they're anxious to trade either one of those guys. I think they believe that they can retool for 2024. But if you've got to lock in Harper as the DH and Schwarber in left field, those are two positions where maybe you can look to improve with a right-handed bat. Dombrowski said, you're never looking to trade your top prospects, but I can't also tell you that anytime somebody drops something on your lap that you can't say no. What he's basically telling you there is if he has a, if he has the opportunity to go out and make a big splash, he'll make a big splash. I don't think Mick Abel is off the table. I don't think he's off limits. Does that mean that he's going to go out and trade him for somebody who's not a game changer? Probably not. He also did say that John Middleton is looking uh, is open to taking on additional salary. That's very good news. Um, it looks like they're open to adding pitching depth, but Dombrowski said that he likes the top four in their rotation, so he probably will not add someone to the top of the rotation, more likely the kind of depth pieces that we've seen the last two years with Kyle Gibson back in 2021 and Noah Syndergaard last year. So very much the, the cost for starting pitching right now, especially at the top of the rotation, is astronomical. And the Phillies really don't need it. They're very comfortable with their top four guys. But I would not be surprised if they do go out and add another starter because after Chris Sanchez, you're looking at Bailey Falter again. And that's just not a road that I think anybody wants to travel back down. All right, one piece of really bad news the Phillies got, and it shouldn't be a surprise, but this came down on Wednesday as well. Right-handed pitcher Andrew Painter, the team's top prospect, one of the very top pitching prospects, if not the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, will miss the rest of the 2023 season and all of 2024 uh, it looks like he's going. He has a, a surgical consultation with Doctor Neil Elatrache. I can't ever say that dude's name on Monday, where it is likely uh, that he will undergo Tommy John surgery. None of this ever made sense over these last couple of days. They said that the elbow. The Phillies said the elbow was healing when when. Remember, he he felt the pain after his very first game in spring training. They shut him down for like two months. He started throwing very lightly again, taking it very, very slowly with this now 20-year-old kid. And as soon as he starts to get close to facing live batters again, the elbow starts barking. And so immediately the Phillies thought the worst. 
I mean, you could hear Rob Thompson's voice when he was talking about it at first, but then they got the MRI and it said that the, the UCL was actually showed some healing and that they were holding off on surgery. They're just going to shut him down again, but the, but the pain didn't go away. And so the team put out a statement that basically said, because he's continuing to feel the pain here and considering the timing of the season, where we are at in the season and the fact that the 2023 season for him was already blown up and the fact that he's still experiencing symptoms, the Phillies medical staff has recommended that he undergo a right elbow UCL reconstruction with ulnar nerve transposition surgery, Tommy John surgery. Now, Painter is still just 20 years old. This was already, as I said, a lost season. And 2024, he would have had to go back and start from scratch anyway in terms of building up his 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 arm strength. So given all of that, it wasn't likely that he was going to be a dependable member of a big league rotation even as early as next year. But now you're looking at 2025. Now, maybe he gets back at some point late next year. He can start throwing a little bit. He starts getting into Maybe he goes back and he plays in the Arizona Fall League or, you know, he's, he's in a winter league or something. Or maybe maybe they wait until spring training 2025 for him to start working it back up. But they're going to baby this guy, which, which is what they should. In 2025, he'll be just 22 years old. Really, for a kid his age, that's more the timeline anyway. He, I mean, he... The fact that he could have made a contribution and that Dave Dombrowski thought he was good enough to make a contribution here in 2023 was astronomical. A guy this young doing it. Even if it's even if it delays him by a couple of years, Tommy John surgery, some pitchers come back from this and throw harder and better. Of course, some don't come back the same. And that's always the risk you run. It's always good to avoid surgery. And I have no problem with the Phillies waiting. Um, although it did kind of set things back another three to four months. But essentially what you're talking about is he's going to miss all of 2024 anyway, and he's probably ready to come back in time for spring training 2025. What does his future look like then? We can't really know, um, but you're not looking at p- putting him in as a member of the starting rotation to start the 2025 season. That much is sure. That much is for sure. I mean, it just would, it would be reckless to, to think you can make plans to have Andrew Painter as one of your, one of your five starters to start the 2025 season. You have to see how things go, but again, he'll be 22. Even if, even if he's not in the big leagues as a regular starter until 20, until he's 23 years old, that's 2026. So much can happen between now and then. The question is, given all of this information and the fact we're at the trade deadline, you know that for teams maybe like San Diego that you could have a conversation with Juan Soto, about Juan Soto with them about, you know that Andrew Painter's name would come up. Now, I I imagine the Phillies automatically just reflexively say, no, we're not trading Andrew Painter for anybody. We're not doing it. And that would make total sense. But you wonder... Does this change? I always wonder, like, does it, who whose mind does this change now in terms of whether or not to move a guy like Andrew Painter? When you look at the the fragility of young starting pitchers, would this make you, as a fan, I guess, first of all, but also as a general manager, more or less reluctant to move a guy like Andrew Painter right now? Because you don't know what he's going to be when he gets back. So if if the Padres came to you and said, we'd be interested in moving Juan Soto if Andrew Painter leads a deal, the fact that he's going to be undergoing Tommy John surgery and not back until 2025 and maybe not a regular starter until 2026, and if you're the Phillies, you have this window open right now. It's not going to shut in two or three years, but you've only got so much of Bryce Harper and Trey Turner's prime left here. Would you make that deal 
right now? In, and would you be more willing to include Andrew Painter in a deal for a megastar like that, given the fact he's going to have Tommy John surgery, if you're Dave Dombrowski? Of course, if, you know, if you're the Padres, if you're A.J. Preller, you, you may not get an opportunity to get AJ to get uh, 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 Andrew Painter. But would you want to take on a guy who's going to who's going to have this injury concern now? Probably not. Right. I imagine teams won't even ask about Andrew Painter. But I, I Tommy John surgeries, generally speaking, pitchers come out on the other side. OK, and sometimes even better. So you're banking on the fact that if you are still interested in Andrew Painter, that he's going to come through the surgery, that he's still going to be very young on the other side of it, and that you'll have his his entire 20s in your starting rotation if all goes as planned. But I think you also have to look at Andrew Painter's recent history. He just doesn't have enough innings under his belt where you know for sure that he's going to be a big-time starting pitcher. So if I'm another team, I, I'm I'm not in, interested in Andrew Painter. I, I, don't, I don't ask for him. And if I'm Dave Dombrowski, I probably still make him untouchable at the moment, although I would certainly be more open to listening given now all of this medical uncertainty that was already there a little bit. Now it's there in spades. You just pray that this isn't a Spencer Howard, Sixto Sanchez redux. That's why we have nightmares about this sort of thing, because we've had guys like Andrew Painter pumped up before and then injuries submarine everything. And you trade Sixto Sanchez for JT Realmuto. Sixto Sanchez still can't stay healthy. He still can't pitch for the Marlins. Spencer Howard, who, who's even heard of Spencer Howard? He, I mean, that, that guy disappeared. What is Spencer Howard doing nowadays? I know obviously the Phillies traded him uh, to uh, the Texas Rangers. Um, he is, oh boy, um, still with the Texas Rangers. He really has only, he's, he's pitched one-third of an inning with Texas and gave up four runs in that one-third of an inning. I don't mean to laugh, but it it he's still just 26. But in AAA, he's had, he's had trouble staying healthy this year. He's only pitched 15 innings in AAA with a 5.28 ERA. So it's that's the that's what you don't want to see. Right? You don't want to see Spencer Howard. You don't you don't want to see what's happened with Sixto Sanchez. In Miami, I mean, it's hard to believe Sixto Sanchez actually, um, actually had in 2020 seven great starts. I mean, everybody got really excited. He finished seventh in the Rookie of the Year balloting with just 39 innings, but he has not pitched in a big league game since 2020, or he has not pitched at all since 2020. Not in 2021, not in 2022, and not so far here in 2023. So. That's the worry. That's the concern. And that's why you're maybe more open to dealing in Andrew Painter because of what we saw with Spencer Howard and Sixto Sanchez. And um, I guess it's also a fair question whether or not that means Dave Dombrowski is more or less open to trading Mick Abel or Griff McGarry. But this is all stuff that's great to talk about with our next guest. And joining me to talk about the Phils and where things stand, and we'll talk a little bit about this Andrew Painter news, is the great Kevin Nagandi, ESPN Sports Center anchor. Follow him on Twitter at Kevin Nagandi. You see him on ESPN all the time. No stranger to the podcast. Kevin, thanks for coming back on Hitting Season. How are you? Uh, great to join you, John. It's, uh, and it's also great to talk about, uh, aside from the Painter news, just the team that, that has finally found its stride, and it feels like everything's clicking. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think the 2022 playoff vibes, it, it feels like they're back, and I want to get into that with you here in just a second. I don't want to bury the lead because, of course, the Tommy John surgery for Andrew Painter is what Phillies fans are talking about here. And 
you know, it it kind of struck me as a little bit strange over the last couple of weeks that the Phillies were saying that his elbow was healing, the injury was healing, but he was still experiencing pain when he threw in that elbow. So maybe it's not a surprise that the team announced on Wednesday that he was going to have Tommy John surgery. What do you make of the announcement and his future now? Well, first off, uh, you know, it's it's tough, especially when you talk about his age and the prospect of what his future would look like in this rotation within a year. Right. Like, you know, the start of the season, there was uh, the the conversation of, hey, can we use him at the back end of games, uh, an inning or two? I, I always when I heard that, I was like, oh, David Price, when we saw him in the <laughs> right. World Series in 2008, remember electric yeah. stuff coming in. Uh, not a lot of innings of work, but at the same time, just, I mean, the ball, the ball off the arm is just electric and, and painters reviews last year after a phenomenal season, you, you felt like, okay, we could be in that position. I will say, John, that first off, he's young. Yeah. Second, it's not like it's the first time we've ever heard a pitcher go through this with a UCL. And so I think they're, they're going to make sure every single precaution uh precautionary measure is taken in the right way to, to protect this kid because this is not about this fall this is not even about next season this is about the the future and potentially the next decade of having somebody at the top of the line when we talk about rotation and you know uh, a backstory to this too is when you look at payroll costs and what mm -hmm. you're giving out to other stars to make sure that you have young young uh, mm -hmm. inexpensive potential stars on the roster that plays a humongous role. I mean, look at look yeah. at how the Braves are constructed in, in developing, and look look at Aaron Nola where he is now, but where he was a few years ago in developing. And like, look at that, yeah, 2018 when they had Cole Hamels in developing that that ace through the entire farm system and being smart about it. And I think the circumstances here too, Kevin, kind of make this feel like maybe more of a setback than it than it is because, like you mentioned, he just turned twenty at the beginning of the season, so he's going to miss all of next year. You figure the following year after that, you're looking at twenty twenty five as probably when he just gets back on the mound, let alone when he's in Philadelphia, and he's still just going to be twenty two years old at that time. So again, a long future in front of him. You can understand the Phillies wanting to be really cautious with him, but the expectation were put in front of us in the spring that here we have this phenom, this 19, 20-year-old phenom who's going to contribute at the big league level for a World Series contender this year. And when we have the Spencer Howard and the Sixto Sanchez's behind us and some other top-notch Phillies pitching prospects that suffered injuries and eventually got dealt away, Andrew Painter's still a long way from those guys. But when you're getting ramped up to seeing Andrew Painter here in 2023, and now you think like even when he gets back on the mound and is ready to pitch in big league games in 2025, he's going to have to start all over again from scratch. And so it, you may not see him at the big league level until maybe even 2026, Kevin. If if I'm if my math is right here. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I think this is when we kind of get in trouble when we play that that scenario <laughs> out, right? That's fair. Uh, That's fair. Let, let's hope we're all still around in 2026. <laughs> True. So, so I, I view this as he's, he's like you mentioned, you know, 19 turned 20. And you just say, all right, let's just one step at a time. And then <laughs> considering how young he is, 
how the body reacts and responds differently to everybody else. You know, it's like, okay, uh, 20, let's just say 2024 is a wash and let's see where we're at with the hope of 2025 in the spring. Let's just see what, by that time he's Mm -hmm. 22 years old. Good gosh. Yeah. I mean, this team could be completely different where, you know, we could have other stars coming through that pipeline as well. So, or future stars, I should Mm -hmm. say. So I, 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 I would hold any judgment on the idea of, uh-oh, where's where's things going to go after 2024? To me, it's just like, all right, we got the eight, next 18 months. Let's get this out of the way for this young man. And and uh, and I don't think this is like the end-all, be-all. You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, let, well, let me tell you what it does, John. It stops all the Juan Soto rumors yes. straight up, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. And, and, it, and you have to adjust your timeline and the idea of, okay, what would it take if, if they were still – looking to add a, a bat like Soto. No, and that's very true. I was going to actually just, I was wanted to talk about Juan Soto a little bit with you here in, in, in just a few minutes in those trade rumors, and I agree with you on that. And I also wonder, does it make Dave Dombrowski more reluctant to move Mick Abel or Griff McGarry? He wasn't looking to really move those guys to begin with. I don't think he's anxious to lose any of those pitchers or move, deal any of those guys away. But does this injury make him even more reticent to move Mick Abel and Griff McGarry in a deal here uh, in the next couple of weeks? I don't know. It, it, it well, first off, we know what Dombrowski's approach is. Uh, hey, let's win and let's win now. Look at the way the roster is built. Uh, I think I think that's that's an ownership conversation on the viewpoint of specifically, hey, if our window is potentially now, now in, in this roster the next three years, we need to basically go all in and getting getting people. And then you have the long-term view by saying you've got, what, nine more years with Bryce? You just got Trey Turner here and you're looking for at least a decade. So what's the cost at you're going to do this as their salaries continue to rise where you need a pipeline of young talent to continue to grow and keep them their salaries lower on the lower end mm-hmm. to carry the weighted and the bloat on the other side. But I, I, the, if you look at Dombrowski's re- track record, he has not been afraid everywhere he goes to sell the farm to win now, to win in windows. Hmm. And after getting a taste of that deep run last year, I, I think ownership and Middleton's viewpoint is, hey, let's win. Let's do everything we can to win. I got to give him credit because he's not been shy about spending the money over the last two to three years. And let's do whatever we can that makes the most sense. And if that means – that that you get Soto for a year and a half because he's not a one year rental. Do you get? Do you look at potentially trying to get another big bat somewhere down the road? I don't know. I I, yeah. I I'd be I'd be open to it because listen, I, I always go back to the Roy Halladay trade. Yeah, and and everybody was all about you know Kyle Drabeck, Kyle Drabeck. That's the big <laughs> piece. That's the big piece, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and unfortunately, we never heard much of Kyle Drabeck having a big career. And then I go to another thing, John, um, specifically, and I'll never understand it, and I understand, but I'll never understand it with the whole you know Ruben Amaro making shipping Cliff Lee, and we couldn't have those two guys together, then bringing back Cliff Lee and. Yeah. Like it's like you got that window, and you also have a core. Let's find a way because it, it breaks my heart that that team only won one World Series title when they could have had probably two, or potentially played for a third. 
Yeah, no, if they have Cliff Lee in 2010 with Roy Halladay, they they give themselves certainly a much better shot to, to win a title that season. But, you know, that's, that's, that is one of those what ifs that we'll always, uh, that we'll always wonder about. And so you're talking about Juan Soto. You're talking about, there had been earlier in the week, a lot of Shohei Otani conversations. I just kind of put those away. There, there's, I don't think they move. Not realistic. Yeah. It's not realistic. And, and I know ESPN had a story out today tracking what all the potential Otani suitors out there, what they would give up. Phillies weren't even listed. And, and I, I get that. And I'm fine with that. But for Juan Soto, I know uh, FanDuel put out an interesting trade proposal that did include Andrew Painter. So you referenced just a second ago, it probably means Juan Soto is out of their reach. But let's just say you throw Mick Abel into that situation and you're throwing Justin Crawford, Carlos De La Cruz, and maybe a, maybe another prospect that's not as low as you would have needed if Painter was in there. Is there any kind of deal that you can see that would entice San Diego to, to trade Juan Soto to Philadelphia? I mean, really what, what it comes down to is the market, right? It comes down to where where is San Diego that final week? Uh, who else is selling? And I, I could see the Padres saying, we're not getting blown away by a deal. We're going to keep them. We're going to try one more run with them and then try to unload them like, they're, you know, mm-hmm. like a rental next year. I'd be stunned if they move Juan Soto unless they're really moved uh, by a trade. Like the, the the Padres have gone all in, man. They have spent so much money. Yeah, and I, I I'd be curious to see what the next week is going to be like on what what kind of trade proposals they're going to hear. I don't think you trade Juan Soto because you're desperate. I think that'd be just mm-hmm. a dumb dumb move by uh, the Padres and their management. Uh, there seems to be some kind of current in Philadelphia, at least on Philly's Twitter and understanding, of course, it's Twitter. So the natural inclination is for negativity to, to rule the day, of course, but that Juan Soto is part of the problem in San Diego and that the Phillies, no matter what the cost, shouldn't ruin the clubhouse chemistry by bringing Juan Soto into Philadelphia, which is a, which is a, a, a thought that I just don't understand in any way, but it was kind of echoed by Ben Davis, who, as you well know, is one of the Phillies color analysts. He went on WIP on Wednesday and said his act wouldn't fit in the Phillies clubhouse. Are, are you are you aware of Soto being a problem? Like, have you have you heard or anybody at ESPN? I, I haven't seen any reporting anywhere that Soto is dogging it or I mean, he's that he's a problem or one of the reasons why San Diego has struggled so much this season to the point where you wouldn't bring him into the into your clubhouse no matter what, I, I just don't get it. John, I, I'm I haven't heard anything like yeah. that. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, now the, <laughs> what I've heard what I've heard in that San Diego clubhouse is a lot of individuals, but I haven't heard that it's uh, exclusively to to Juan Soto. Let, mm-hmm. Let's let's not forget here the dynamic of Fernando Tatis coming back, and just a couple years ago, Tatis was the future of that clubhouse. And then you add Soto and Xander Bogarts. you got a ton of big, we haven't even talked about Machado. You've got a ton of big personalities in that, that clubhouse, right? Yeah. Uh, on the offensive side. So I, I haven't heard anything directly about Soto. I, the only thing I've heard is just a lot of individual play, a lot of, you know, what about me yeah. um, in the clubhouse? I, I don't know who that is directed to specifically. I will go back to this. Like, and I don't know what the relationship is like, but like he had a relationship with Trey Turner. He has yeah. a relationship with Kevin Long. He has right. a relationship with Bryce Harper. Yep. And and 
if we've learned one thing about Bryce Harper is he has a way of understanding and and when he believes in a guy, the guys want to play with him, right? Like yeah. JT Riamuto, Trey Turner. You see Kyle Schwarber. You saw like him rooming with Bryson Stott. Like those guys are attracted to a star piece like Bryce Harper. It to me it would be one simple conversation. Bryce, can this work in, yeah. in your mind? And if yeah. Bryce says yes, then I don't care what anybody else says and what environment and what you've heard. It, it comes down to if you're good with Bryce Harper, you're good in that clubhouse because Bryce's personality is one of the reasons he's the gel and the glue to everybody inside that place. Right, and my opinion is if you think Juan Soto is going to ruin the Phillies clubhouse culture, then the Phillies clubhouse culture isn't as strong as I thought it was. And I it's think a great it's a, point. You know, I, I just I don't think... It's a yeah. great point. And to your point, there are a lot of dudes in that clubhouse. When I yep. say dudes, like big personalities in the Phillies clubhouse who've won everywhere else. And last year was a perfect example. They came together. I thought what they did with Alec Bohm last year was tremendous. Mm -hmm. And now he's one of those guys. Like, I, I think that there's a certain culture that you adjust to our culture, very right. much similar to way, the way the Eagles' offensive line is, very much mm -hmm. similar to the way that Eagles' defensive front is. There's a culture that's set already. You come in, you want to just fit in and do whatever you got. And Juan Soto seems to be one of those type of guys. He's got personality. I love it when he's at the plate. But let me tell you, you know the best thing about chemistry? If you're winning, a yeah. lot of people get along and a lot of people are happy. And if you add him into that clubhouse, that, that, my goodness, the power – yeah. Um, that, that's the key here, right? It, yeah. it, it, where's the weakness in the lineup? And, uh, it'd be really hard to find. Yeah. He, he's not going to win any gold gloves out there in left field, but no. he, neither is Kyle Schwarber. And, and so, exactly. and, and he was pretty good in the 2019 world series as we'll all remember. So, um, a couple other quick things before I let you go. So looking at the trade deadline, what do you think the Phillies need most right now, given the starting pitching and kind of how things have been moving along. The bullpen is dealing with a couple of injuries, but Sir Anthony and Jose Alvarado are expected back at some point in the next couple of weeks. And the bullpen's been doing very well without them. There still seems to be a piece missing on offense, but you've got a lot of guys who are kind of locked into certain places. Where do you see Dave Dombrowski going here at the trade deadline? What's the big need in, in your mind? I, I think they need a veteran bat, just one more veteran bat. Uh, I, I saw something uh, uh, on Twitter uh, with Tommy Pham and, and granted he's with the Mets. And I was like, Whoa, that would, that would make sense. You know, that that's the type of veteran bat hmm. that would be really, really nice to have just in case that we've seen on a deep run that you have the options and you feel comfortable. If you have a pinch running or pinch hitting situation that you need somebody um, to me, you can never go wrong with more pitching. I, I got to give Dombrowski so much credit. I mean, it felt like year after year after, even last year, till they kind of figured it out in the back end, year after year for like a four-year stretch where it was like, we have no bullpen. How do we figure things out, right? <laughs> yeah. And Dombrowski deserves so much credit in adding such great stability there. Um, maybe it's maybe it's a fifth-line starter, but I, like we're being pretty picky here. Yeah, I, I've always said this. I don't care where they finish in the division as long as they make the playoffs. Yeah, just get in the dance. They're the perfect example of a year ago. Just get in the dance. You don't want to be dominant in the regular season. You want to dominate where you are tough in a you know five to seven game series. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they're building that man. And yeah. it, it's been 
It's been great to see. And we have yet to see Trey Turner explode. He's, yeah. he's, he's giving us glimpses. That triple was great yesterday. Yeah. We, we, we have yet to see him become the day-to-day Trey Turner, which will carry week-to-week and month-to-month. And, and when that happens, man, holy cow, man, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun if we could have a deep run in the fall. Yeah, they've got a lot of guys on this team who can carry you when, when they need to. I mean, Kyle Schwarber's doing it right now. Bryce Harper's a guy who can do it. We saw JT Real Muto do it last year. Trey Turner's another one. There's a lot of meat still on the bone here for this offense yeah, and, and, and for this team. John, to your point, Castellanos carried us for several months here, and that's how he made the All-Star game, right? Right, like, right. There, yeah. there were big, big hits that we needed uh, early in this season, and we still haven't even uh, you know, discussed you know, losing out on Reese. So right, right. I, I, they've done a, just a really, really good job of figuring things out and who's the next man up that, that we need to step up. And I don't know, man, it, it feels good. I, I, yeah. I'm really happy where this team is right now. They're, they're starting to realize uh, their potential. And when, when you all know, anybody that <laughs> listens to this that has followed the Phillies, when Charlie Manuel talks about hitting season – starting to warm up because the weather it it plays a big role at home and we haven't done a really good job at home we had a really tough schedule the back end we're going to reap the rewards of just grinding through that schedule in the first half of the season yeah a lot of road games in the first half a lot of games against really tough opponents the schedule and and the home games really really kind of pile up here in the second half so the sun is shining brighter the birds are swinging a little singing a little sweeter uh, as the phillies are in a, a wild card uh, hunt right now and make sure you're following kevin nagandi on twitter because he's following the phils and catching him on sports center every single day kevin thank you for coming back on hitting season buddy i really appreciate it john always a pleasure man thank you all right, before we wrap up, I did uh, I did ask uh, on Twitter for folks to record into their phone trade proposal ideas. And I want to keep this going throughout the next couple of weeks until the trade deadline. Um, so if you want to get on the podcast, just go to the voice memos on your phone. Um, if you've got Apple, uh, you've got your voice memos there. I don't know what uh, what folks who use um, uh, non-iPhones use to, to record their voice, but it's so easy now. Just record your voice on your phone and send an email to Hit and Season at billypen.com and pretend you're the general manager of another team and make me an offer. I'm going to pretend I'm Dave Dombrowski, make me an offer. And, um, and, and that'll be a good way for kind of just for us to talk about some of these different trade ideas that are floating out there. So again, just record a voice memo on your phone, email it to hit and season at billypen.com. Uh, and we got two of them for this episode of the podcast, both of them pretending uh, to be the Cubs general manager. So uh, I'm going to play both of these back to back because they're essentially asking the same one. Uh, Joshua Klein and Michael Kirschenbaum, thank you so much for, for sending these in. Here are the trade proposals. Hey, Dave, this is Carter Hawkins with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I know you're in the market for some starting pitching, and uh, you can probably guess we're a little bit in need of some some young blood over here. So I'm thinking uh, Marcus Stroman having a great year. He looked good in those red pinstripes, and all he'll cost you is uh, a young man by the name of Johan Rojas. Uh, I, know you, I know you're a big fan of that guy, but... Looks like you're getting a bit of a crowded outfield. We could get a little bit younger, a little more control. You get a good pitcher for the playoff push. Let me know what you think. Thanks. This is Carter Hawkins of the Cubs. I just uh, learned who I was. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, we're kind of out of it. We're not not really competing for anything more than just a pat on the back this year. So here, here's the deal I'm offering you. 
I'll give you Marcus Stroman. I'll give you Cody Bellinger. And I want Mick Abel and Johan Rojas. I'll hang up and listen. So let's talk about these uh, trade proposals. And, and we'll talk about the for, uh, Stroman for Rojas first. Um, you heard Dave Dombrowski talking about it. And so I'm going to pretend to be Dave Dombrowski. We really like our top four guys. Now, Marcus Stroman is having a tremendous year. He's one of the best starters in baseball right now. A 3.3 wins above replacement. He's 10-6 and six with a 2.88 ERA for the Cubs. Uh, 101 strikeouts and 118 innings, but a, a whip of 1.087. He has been consistent. He's been really good as of late. Um, actually, no, he hasn't been really good as of late. He gave up six earned runs in a start uh, back on July 6th, and then, oh, no, no, I'm looking at the wrong line. Uh, four earned runs uh, back on July 6th, five earned runs back on July 1st, and his most recent start here on the 15th, though, six innings, one earned run allowed, um, and he's been pretty rock solid for uh, the Cubs all season long, of course, made the all-star team. Last year, he was also pretty good, a 3.50 ERA in 25 starts. The year before that with the Mets, made a league-high 33 starts and had a 3.02 ERA. Very, very consistent pitcher is Marcus Stroman. And Johan Rojas is an exciting young player. He 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 certainly has flashed a lot of tools. I'm very excited about him as, as the general manager, the team president. I'm not general manager, as the president of the Phillies here, Dave Dombrowski. I know my title. I know I'm not the GM. Sam Folds the GM. I'm the president of baseball operations, dang it. And I'm running this show. Um, so I love Marcus Stroman. And I think Johan Rojas for Marcus Stroman, straight up, yeah, I probably do that deal. I probably do that deal. Um, I don't think, though, necessarily that we need Marcus Stroman right now. Uh, if who's your number five starter, if, if Marcus Stroman comes on board, I guess it's probably Taiwan Walker. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it would be, if, if somebody offered, offered me that, like, if you're going to offer me that, I probably, I probably say yes to that. And then we just kind of figure it out as, as we go along. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's the, a top line starting pitcher is not really what we need. So, um, I'll say yes, because certainly if somebody's willing to, I think Johan Rojas is a very fine looking player, but he's our number six, seven prospect or something like that. Um, I know he's a gifted defensive center fielder, but we have Brandon Marsh, who's going to be our center fielder of the future, we believe, and kind of intrigued by what Christian Pache has done this year. Um, He's kind of profiles the same way Johan Rojas does. He's an elite defensive center fielder. So um, the bat's starting to come around on him, just like Johan Rojas's bat has has come around. So they're both kind of the same guy. So that's why I would be willing to do this. And, and then maybe, you know, we figure out something to do with the rotation once the playoffs roll around. Um, the other deal, so Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger, and Bellinger has also been very good. A nice bounce back season for the former MVP, 308 batting average. 365 on base, 523 slugging percentage, and 888 OPS, a 138 OPS plus 12 home runs, 51 runs scored, 35 RBIs, 12 stolen bases for for Cody Bellinger. He's been uh, he's been very good, uh, very hot lately coming out of the All Star break. He had a two home run game back on the 14th and a another home run on the 15th with four RBIs. Struggled a little bit the last four games, but uh, overall doing doing really well for Chicago. Yeah, I like Cody Bellinger. Um. Would I be willing to give up Mick Abel and Johan Rojas? No, I, I don't think I'm willing to do that. I'm, I'm not giving up Mick Abel for Stroman and Bellinger. Um, I would flip Rojas for Bellinger, for sure. I, I don't think the Cubs would do that. But 
again, with Strowman, I'm I don't I'm not giving away Mick Abel for a superfluous piece at this point. And that's kind of what Marcus Stroman is. If you want to, you're going to give me like a, uh, an all-star starting pitcher for uh, my, like my, my third string outfielder, then yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. That's fine. But I'm not giving up Mick Abel for Marcus Stroman in a, in a Cody Bellinger deal. Uh, and I think really the Phillies need a right-handed bat to play in left field. I, I, Depending on the deal, if Bellinger's who I'm, who the Phillies, who we get, then great. I'll I'll take Cody Bellinger. You heard me read the numbers. He's been very productive this year. Um, but I do think a right-handed bat probably makes a little bit more sense. They they need another right-handed bat to balance out what they lost when Reese Hoskins uh, was lost for the season. So I say no to the Stroman and Bellinger for Abel and Rojas deal. I say yes for Stroman for Rojas. I don't think the Cubs would offer. Marcus Stroman for Johan Rojas. I think uh, I think that's overvaluing our own prospects just a little bit. Um, so again, th- those were the questions, uh, the proposals that I got here for this episode of the podcast. But again, keep them rolling. We'll do them uh, with Justin and Liz uh, in the Sunday night podcast, and and if we keep them going, maybe they'll answer one or two on the uh, on the end of week podcast. So again, record a voice memo on your phone, and then just email it to hittenseason at billypen.com and we'll answer it here on the podcast. And if you have any other questions, you can send them along too. Uh, one of our listeners, Charlie Wolf, sent this one in. Hey, John, which Philly do you think that struggled in the first half is going to have the best second half? Charlie, thank you for the question. And uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast. I'll just kind of flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, I think Aaron Nola is is that guy. I, I really hope that he figured something out during the All-Star break. Um, Trey Turner, he seems like he's been on the verge of breaking through a couple of different times, but it just it just hasn't happened. But you you got to believe that the guy is still an elite offensive shortstop and that it's in there somewhere. I think it's probably more likely we see Trey Turner have a better second half than Aaron Nola. I have a little less confidence in Aaron Nola being able to string together more starts like what we saw on Tuesday night than Trey Turner picking it up. And I think Trey I think Trey Turner is probably more likely to find another gear and, and kick it into gear. Kind of as, as, as Kevin was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my answer on that one. Again, send in questions, send in those trade proposals, hit in season at billypen.com. All right. Time for your stat of the week. This comes from Jason Stark. Kyle Schwarber hit another leadoff home run on Tuesday. As you heard, as you heard me tell you about that is the, that was the fourth game in a row with a dinger while batting in the leadoff spot. In the game on Wednesday, he did not hit a home run, although he did hit a game-tying two-run single. The last Phillies leadoff hitter to four to homer in four straight games? Nobody, at least in the modern era. Jimmy Rollins had three streaks of three in a row, and Odubel Herrera, or as I like to, as Jason Stark, uh, I like what he said, the artist formerly known as Odubel Herrera, did it once. And that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks once again to Kevin Nagandi for coming on and joining me here on the podcast. I want to encourage you to check out billypen.com. Uh, we've got a landing page over at that fantastic website, billypen.com slash 
hitting season, but make sure you're checking out Billy Penn every day for the latest Philadelphia news. And uh, of course, check out our landing page for all the articles that accompany these podcasts. And I uh, want to remind you also to check out our hitting season Patreon, where we've got the dirty inning, absolutely hammered and lots of other great stuff there as well. You can subscribe to those shows. Those are, those are for folks who want to help us out just a little bit on some special tiers that we got over there. So go to patreon.com slash hitting season to check all that out. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hidden Season. Season.